Good morning, church. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, verses 22 to 36. We're continuing on in this, in this study of, of God's provision for the people of Israel uh, for their, their needs for food, bread, and water he gave them. He's already given them water miraculously. Now he gives them bread from heaven and food in the form of quail. And uh, last week we noted their grumbling. This week we see another expression of their discontentment, their, their inability to rest, their inability to enter into the Sabbath that God gives them. And, and we should not be surprised when we see in this text lessons that are applicable to us in our wilderness of this COVID crisis. Because the, the Bible says, Paul says in particular, that, that God has written these things down for our own instruction. So God was, was writing this story through their history, not only to train them to rest in him, but to train us to rest in him as well. Clement of Rome, the bishop who learned firsthand about the gospel from the apostle Peter, said that that. This is what God was doing. He was leading the people of Israel in these wanderings. He could have taken a shorter road, but he, he turned them off of the road and had them wander around that he might, by the, listen to this line, the novelty of a changed manner of life root out of them the manners that they had become familiar with in Egypt. I love that line. He he is by means of the novelty of a changed manner of life, taking Egypt out of them just as much as he was taking them out of Egypt. And could it be in the midst of this crisis, and it's a real crisis, and in the midst of this suffering, which is true suffering, could it be that God is mercifully rooting out of us by this, the novelty of this changed manner of life, rooting out of us those things that had kept us enslaved before. I want you to look with me at verses 22 and following as we pick up the story and, and listen for the gospel of rest. Now we, we plunge into the message here, as, as, er, into the story, as, as, as they are taking up twice as much bread on the sixth day as on the other days. God had given them instruction, only take what you need every day of the week except the sixth day. I'm going to give you twice as much that you might have it on the Sabbath. That's where we dive into the story. Chapter 16, verse 22. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there are no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. 
And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place, Moses said. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came into a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you please send your Holy Spirit to teach us not only the rest provided in the gospel, in the message of the gospel. Would you send your spirit to enable us to enter into that rest? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the Sabbath, not only weekly, but the promise of that eternal Sabbath rest to come. We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for his sake. And God's people said together, Amen. <clears throat> In Phil Riken's commentary on the book of Exodus, he includes a quote from uh, a woman named Nan Chase who wrote an article for an in-flight magazine, United Airlines in-flight magazine. And she says at the beginning of the article that she was like any number of other harried moms, she found herself rushing through the day, going from one appointment to the next, driving a, a carpool of kids from one event to the next. In this constantly harried state, she was asking, why isn't there more time? Why isn't there more time? And then she asks this question. If someone told you, there was a way to stop the onslaught of everyday obligations, improve your social life, keep the house clean, revive your tired marriage, elevate spiritual awareness, and improve productivity at work all overnight and without cost, you'd probably say the claim was absurd. I certainly did. But I was willing to see if some cosmic miracle cure might really work, and after a year of earnest research... I've discovered that adherence to a Sabbath yields a precious gift of time. My personal life, my professional life, my family life have all improved, and I plan to go on celebrating the Sabbath. There's no indication in that article that, that the author is a born-again Christian. It doesn't make 
it doesn't make the truthfulness of the article or the advice any less applicable. Because what this author has discovered is something that God in his common grace has given to all humankind, including the other creatures of our world. God wired the world and God wired every creature to, uh, to, to observe a rhythm of work and rest. No creature is made to work constantly or to rest constantly. We thrive, we flourish when there is this balance of work and rest. In fact, if, if, if anything, if, if this woman is not a believer, it's, it should be even more convicting to us as Christians who perhaps are being taught in this time of pandemic that we have neglected God's principle of rest. This, this merciful rhythm of work and rest. It, it, it may be even more convicting to us because here someone has recognized it in common grace and we of all people who know our Father to be the giver of good gifts have neglected this good gift. You know, on occasion I say that the gospel can be reduced to three words. God loves sinners. I'm going to say this morning the gospel could be reduced to one word. Rest. Rest. It is Jesus Christ who comes to us through the ministry, the liberating ministry of Moses. It is Jesus Christ who comes to us even in this passage and he says to us, I'm calling you to rest on me. I want you to rest on me because of my present provision, because of my past faithfulness, and because of the future promise I guarantee to you. Look at this passage with me, beginning in verses 21 and following, 22 and following. Look at, look at the, the way God makes this point about present provision. Remember, uh, remember Moses gave the instruction that, that uh, God would rain down the manna from heaven and they were to go out and they were to, they were to pick up each individual and family was to, to gather only what they needed and not try to hoard it, not try to store it up, just what they needed for the day. And then it would melt away. If they tried to hoard it, it would grow, it would, it would contaminate, it would get rancid. And so they, they only had to gather what was for that day. And then God assured them, tomorrow morning I'll give you again just what you need for that day. He was anticipating Long ahead of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He was teaching his, his people to come to him for their daily needs. But he was also teaching them some other lessons. He was teaching them, for one, the rhythm of work and rest. By looking to him daily for their needs, in imitation of his rhythm of work and rest, they were, they were experiencing his, they were to experience his kind provision. You know, that's the reason God, it was to, to teach us this rhythm of work and rest, it's, that, that explains why there is that repetitive, that repetitive refrain in, in the first chapter of Genesis, God made thus and so. He said, let there be light and let the, 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 the land be 
separated from the water and so forth. And evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning was the second day. Who marks time like that? Craftsmen and workers. Evening and morning, that, that is the demarcation between days of work. You, you work beginning in the morning, you end at evening, and then rest begins. And rest continues until the next morning. God didn't need rest. God didn't need to separate the days on which he made things. But God was doing that. God was giving us that pattern so that we would imitate it. He's teaching us how to work and rest and promising that he would provide for us. He, he, he is also teaching these people, as he was teaching the people in Genesis, how to rely on him as a benevolent king. See, he's, he's having to train them, again, how to, how to trust in him as a good uh, a sovereign. Because they'd been under the tyranny of Pharaoh all this time, and they didn't, they didn't know what it was to trust a good king. God said, in, in my economy, in my kingdom, I'm granting everyone this rest. I am insisting that everyone follow this rhythm. Not just the wealthy, not just the free, but everyone, men and women and children and, and, and slaves and animals, all are to follow this pattern, work and rest. And this is what you're going to discover. You're going to find from me that I am one who provides you far more than you work for. I'm going to give you seven days of provision for six days of labor. I'm going to give you 24 hours of provision for eight, days per, eight hours per day of labor. I'm going to give you far more. Even while you're sleeping, I'm going to provide for you because I am a good father and a good king. And as you rest in me for your daily provision, I'm going to I'm going to double that rest for you. I'm going to double that provision for you on the sixth day so that on the seventh day you, could in, you, you can in effect experience my room service. I want you to gather twice as much as you need on, on the sixth day so that on the seventh day you don't have to. On the sixth day I'm giving you twice as much and... And, uh, and you may do with it what you want on the sixth day. That's the real, that's the real meaning of, of, of these words when he says, bake what you bake, boil what you boil. He's not giving, he's not, he's not uh, giving a prohibition against cooking on the Sabbath day, but rather this is a manner of speaking to, to emphasize freedom. In biblical studies, we call it idem per idem. That is, uh, Bake what you bake, bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil on this day because tomorrow you don't have to. And tomorrow, it's not going to go bad, it's going to be there for you. I'm making this provision for you on the sixth day so that on the seventh day, you can experience even more fully my provision for you. 
The Sabbath, in other words, the, the Lord's Day, resting from our, our labors one day a week, it's to be a delight. It's not an oppressive law. The oppression comes from, from constantly thinking, we've got to work harder, store up more, because nobody else can be trusted. The oppression, the tyranny comes by living under other people's laws, other people's expectations for us, other people's imposition of, of rules by which we're going to be regarded as successes. God says, I am giving you divine permission and divine command to rest on this day. I want it to be a delight. God, by his own example, makes it a delight. Just think again about the pattern of creation. Evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning was the fifth day and so on. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. He rested. He blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. Those are happy words. Those aren't dour oppressive, legalistic words. Those are happy words. God rested. He celebrated. He approved of what he made. He made it holy. He sacramentalized it. And that's what he intends for us as well. He intends for that, for this day, the Lord's day, to be not only a day of rest, but a day of delight. This is what Jesus came to do for us. He came to bring us into his rest. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Take my pattern upon you, my rhythm upon you. Live the way I created you to live. You'll find my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. And God will provide your daily needs. If you seek to live under my rules, under my kingdom, you will find that all of these daily needs will be supplied for you. You'll discover that you are God's precious little flock, he calls us. In Eugene Peterson, one of Eugene Peterson's books, he, he tells a story about Fred and Cheryl some friends of his who adopted a little five-year-old girl named Addie from Haiti. Addie's parents were killed in a traffic accident. She was left without family. They, they became aware of her. They adopted her, and they, they brought her back home to their home in Arizona. And, and the, they, were, they were overjoyed with the, re, with, the, with the realization that she quickly bonded with them not so common in, in adoptions, but she, she quickly bonded with them, but they discovered that there would be other scars, there would be other wounds that she would have to deal with in making this transition from Haiti to America, to the loss of her parents, to the gaining of new parents and new brothers. Their first night back in Arizona, they had a, a family dinner and... and uh, and, and Cheryl had made a, a, a plate of, of, you know, stacked full of, of pork chops and mountains of mashed potatoes and, and uh, fresh fruit and vegetables. And, and she had two older 
uh, teenage boys, and those boys went after those pork chops and mashed potatoes, loaded up their plates, and when they, when they scarfed that down, they went for more. And then Addie became quiet, and she was almost paralyzed in that quiet. Cheryl, being a wise and sensitive mother, quickly figured out what was happening. Addie had lived all of her life in deprivation, never really being assured of her next meal. And then her parents had been taken away from her. And to see this food disappearing before her eyes, she was panicking. Is there going to be any food left for me? And so Cheryl took her by the hand and took her over to the refrigerator and opened up the refrigerator and said, look at all of this, orange juice and milk and and um, and and." Uh, and jellies, and, and then, then she took her over to the, the pantry and, and showed her, it was stocked with fresh vegetables, and, and then took her to the freezer and showed her, and she showed her ice cream and, 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 and chicken and, and steak, and she said, all of this is yours, and I keep this constantly supplied. And despite the ravenous appetites of your new big brothers, there will, this will always be supplied. It's what the Lord is saying to us. This daily rhythm of, of work and rest on you know, the Sabbath day, I give you far more than you ever work for. And he points to the larders of creation. He, he points to, to this whole creation. He said, it, as, the, as I feed the birds of the air and, the, and, the, and, the flower, and, and clothe the flowers of the field, you're so much more precious to me than that. And the, 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 my supply for you will be unending. I will give you your daily bread, whatever it is. Children of Israel, not only to learn, and as we are to learn, that that we can rest in God's promise because of his present provision. We're, we're to rest in his past faithfulness. Verses 27 to 30, God gets pretty upset with the Israelites through Moses again. Notice the, the mediator. He, he talks to Moses and says, how long will you refuse? It's not Moses who's refusing to keep the commandments. It's the people. But Moses stands between God and and. And the people anticipating the work of Christ. And, and God unleashes on him. How long? This is the same terminology. It's the same words that, that God used against Pharaoh. How long will you refuse to remember what I have done in the past and obey me for the present? How long, he says, he uses the same terminology to the Israelites, how long will you refuse to remember that I have taken you out of Egypt, I've taken you through the Red Sea, I've provided you water, I've rained down bread from heaven, and you still think that you have to stockpile because I can't be trusted. God is offended, not because he has a sensitive ego, because he has a fragile fragile self-esteem. He, he is offended because he's a... He's a faithful father, and he's being, they're treating him like he is no better than the Pharaoh they just left. God sternly warns them. He wakes them up mercifully 
because he has to deal with their sin as he has to deal with ours. There is the obvious sin of redemptive amnesia, we've called it, of, of, of just not stopping and thanking God for what he's done in the past. But there's also sin that has been done to the Israelites that, 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 that influences their, their difficulty in trusting him. For 430 years, they were oppressed. They were harshly treated, the Bible says. And, and we notice back in chapter 4, that, that very poignant line, they could not believe because of their harsh treatment and cruel oppression. They've been traumatized. They've been dehumanized. And so, and so they, they find themselves defaulting to habits. They find their thought patterns they're, they're, uh, uh, defaulting to those patterns that they, they had to develop for survival in Egypt. And maybe you can identify. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been traumatized. Evil has been done to you. And so situations that you encounter, the, 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 the threat of deprivation or disappointment causes you to react in a way that may not seem reasonable on the outside, but it's the channel your brain has, has been forced to develop because of the sin that has been done to you. You see, what, what God is doing here uh, mercifully, and even at times when he has to, has to wake them up, what God is, God is retraining them to live freely. He's, 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 he's retraining them to live as his free children as opposed to oppressed slaves. That's what the gospel does for us. The gospel in God's gracious and tender mercy in Christ retrains us to live freely. To live as children specifically. Albert Schweitzer, the famous scientist and missionary, said, if, if your soul has no Sunday, it becomes an orphan. If your soul has no Sunday, it becomes an orphan. If you are not living in that pattern that God has, has given for us of work and rest, not just, not just in your, your everyday work patterns and the resting in your physical body, but in your, in your interaction with the grace of God. If you're constantly feeling yourself on a hamster wheel of earning acceptance, if, if, you're, if you're constantly on that, that, that endless climb of trying to make yourself worthy or trying to push away those voices that have told you that you are nothing and those forces that have abused you in the past, then your, your soul lives as an orphan. And God, God in his fatherly mercy, part of sanctification is not just making you more morally holy, which it certainly is, but it's also liberating you to live before God freely as a child 
of God. And that requires, living in that status requires stopping and remembering God's past faithfulness to you. See, an orphan like little Addie is, an orphan is, is, is one who can't remember his or her parents. Addie could remember her parents to some degree because she's five years old, but most orphans are, are, are babies and they, they don't remember their parents. And, 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 and God is having to train us to remind us no, I'm your father. Remember what I did for you yesterday? Remember what I did for you the day before? And the only way to remember that is to stop occasionally. Specifically to stop one day a week. I read an article this week. It appeared in the New York Times by Judith Shulovitz. She's a, a Jewish woman, grew up in a Jewish household. And she had... She had uh, forsaken her faith for a long time and then she found herself uh, losing connection to life, just wasn't living and she, like uh, the other, the other our author I mentioned earlier, she, she rediscovered the Sabbath. She tells a story of, of, of two, an interaction between two rabbis, one who said that the greatest act of God's, of God's in creation, his greatest act was stopping And then the other rabbi ventures to answer why his greatest act was stopping. And he said the reason stopping is so great is because it's only in stopping from your work that you're able to realize the purpose you made it for. Just think about that. she, She says in conclusion to that article, we have to remember to stop Because we have to stop to remember. We have to remember to stop our work every day. And we have to remember to stop one day a week. Because we can't remember unless we stop. I want you to think about this. What does God remember? Every day. Every week in this stopping that we call the Sabbath. God stops every Sabbath and admires his work. Just as he admired his work in the creation, he stopped and admired. He said, he put his hands on his hips, you you might say, and, and looks at what he made and he says, that is very fine. And every week when you come to worship, I want you to imagine God stepping back and putting his hands on his hips and looking at you and saying, now that is very fine work I've done this week. Look at what I've done in you. And that will change your Sabbath experience into one of delight too because you will stop and look at the work you've you've done, the work that he has given you to do, but you will also stop and realize his delight in you but you can't remember it you can't remember his faithfulness unless you stop to remember it maybe this maybe a a, a great portion of this whole pandemic crisis is God's forced Sabbath forcing us to stop and take notice of what he has given us what he has done for us Because we were on that endless hamster wheel 
Now, that frenetic pace of trying to achieve something, trying to gain something, trying to be worth something. And God has caused, called the world to a screeching halt to say, you have forgotten to remember me. When you stop and remember God, you will experience his delight in you. Of course, that begins with a personal relationship with Christ. You have to stop and say to Christ, I, I cannot earn my salvation. I can't, I can't, I, 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 I can't assure my life after, after death. I, I need you to substitute my sin with your righteousness. And when you do, when you ask Christ to be your Savior, you will understand what it is for the Father to delight over you. And you will have not only this assurance of present provision and, 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 and recognize the past faithfulness of God, but you will have this future promise that there is coming a Sabbath rest for you, an eternal rest, an eternal healing of your body, an eternal healing of your soul, an eternal rest from all further attempts to win more favor with God. Where do I get that in this text? It's from this, this strange command that God gives to Moses and, and Aaron to take an omer of manna, place it in a jar, and put it before the testimony, which is the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, I'm going to preserve that for the next 40 years. It's not going to go rancid like all the others. I'm going to preserve it miraculously. And, 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 and when you worship, that's going to be a tangible reminder that I'm going to fulfill my promise to take you into the promised land. Every, every time you see that miraculous preservation of that, of that manna, you're going to have a tangible, objective reminder that I'm going to fulfill my promise. The promised land is coming. You might say, man, I could do with a, I could do with a jar of miraculous manna. If I just had a jar of miraculous manna that I could put on my desk a kind of divine snow globe I would be, man, that would set me. I would never worry again. Well, you've been given something better. That, that only lasted for 40 years. That's a miracle, but it only lasted for 40 years. And it's been superseded by Jesus, who, who, who says in John chapter 6 that he is the bread of God that has come from heaven. You don't have... A jar of bread, you had, you had the flesh of God come into this world to live and die, rise in your place. And then he hasn't left you comfortless. He has, he has sent the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of the presence of Christ in you. I don't know how that works, but it happens. It works. It's a, it's, a, it's a subjective, emotional, visceral reminder that Jesus is with you. And then he's given you other objective signs too. He's given you the Lord's Supper. So every week, just like we're going to do tonight, when you take the Lord's Supper, that... the. the all your senses, your, your, your senses are appealed to. You, you, you feel that bread. You smell that cup. You taste it. You see it. You hear the words of Jesus. 
Take and eat. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you hear, you, you, you can be reminded of, of Jesus' promise to his disciples. I won't partake of this again until I take it with you in the kingdom which is to come. And so we take this, this supper regularly remembering that someday we're going to sit down with, a, with, a, with, with Jesus in bodily form and we're going to eat and drink from this table with him. The writer of Hebrews says, chapter 4, there is a rest coming for us, an eternal rest. And just as God rested from his work, we rest from our works. And when we celebrate the Sabbath day through the week, we remember not just that God has mercifully provided rest for our bodies, but as we rest from our usual works, we are reminded that we must rest from all further attempts to win more favor with Him. That we are loved by God as much as we can ever be loved. And we are being loved even by His sometimes severe mercies into that internal and eternal inheritance. There's an old Jewish story. I've read several different versions of it about a little boy named Mordecai who was rebelling against his parents at four years old. He wouldn't study his Hebrew. He wouldn't go to school. And so they tried various things. to. They tried threats. They tried persuasion. None of it worked. And finally they took little Mordecai to the rabbi and they poured out their frustration and, and their despair to the rabbi, this young couple did. And the rabbi, without a word, took little Mordecai into his arms. And he put his head on his chest, turned Mordecai's ear to his chest. And kept him there, held him there very gently very patiently until he was assured that, that Mordecai could hear and feel the rhythmic beating of his heart. And he just handed the little boy back to his parents and without a word they parted. And the old legend is that Mordecai started studying his Torah. He, would, he was faithful to his lessons. He worked when he was supposed to work. And he played when he was supposed to play. All because he had heard the rhythm of the rabbi's love. That's what God is doing in this passage on the Sabbath. It's what God is doing when he calls us to the Sabbath. Isaiah 58, he says, If you delight in the Sabbath day, you will, you will find your delight in the Lord. You'll find your joy in the Lord. The Lord is pulling you. Even in the midst of this pandemic... I want you to feel him pulling you to his chest saying, listen to the rhythm of my heart and rest in that daily, weekly, and forever. Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience with us. We chafe against your laws because we think they're oppressive. They're, they somehow narrow our joy. When really your laws set us free from the tyranny of our own sin and the oppression of, of the, the culture around us. We ask, O oh Lord, in this, in this provision in particular you've made for us, the, the rhythm of work and rest and the Sabbath day, that we would find our delight in it. And even as we find our delight in the Sabbath day, we would, we would feel your delight in us. We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.